the January transfer window is closed. Over 500 deals completed in Europe's five top leagues for a total value of close to $1 billion. The question we'll answer is if this is good for the future of the sport. Plus, we have our Carabao Cup final all set to take place this February. We'll break down the two clubs and how they got there. Grab your scarf. The supporter section begins right now. Welcome into the supporter section. I am Cole Carter, and this is episode 55 of the supporter section podcast. Go ahead and leave a like and subscribe if you have not already, because today's episode is going to be a good one. I have my two good friends here with me today, Stephen Curl and Brandon Patesnick. Guys, always good to see you. I want to know, what was your favorite thing from this past week of life? Brandon, go ahead and start us off with what you had going on this past week. This one's sort of stupid, but also, if you know me, it's, it's, it's a great thing. I was able to clean my apartment, finally. The past two weekends, I had visitors, which I love having visitors up here in Columbus. But, you know, it's nice to have your own space how you want it. Um, so, some deep cleaning of the, the full apartment, and I can finally breathe, yeah. Nice. Well, that's Steve. What about you? Favorite thing from the past week? Yes, so I impromptu joined a soccer league here in Atlanta, um, completely by myself. Which, if you nice. know me, that's not that's not nice. out of the ordinary. So that that's what I'm doing on Sunday afternoons now. So it's, uh, I had my first game this past week, and my legs are sore. Um, so, but yeah, so I'm excited to get back into that. So it's been fun that representing us on the pitch i love it my favorite thing favorite thing from the past week has been the last of us show the video game adaptation has been so good so far uh, episode three brought some tears to my eyes my goodness such a good show um yeah catching up on some different shows across the gamut of hbo and netflix the f1 series so i've been catching up on some entertainment can't complain about it but as we mentioned it's now into february which means the january transfer window has officially closed. We had some big deals. We had the biggest deals in Premier League history. And as I said, we got close to a total of $1 billion over a course of 500 deals. So pretty remarkable um, overall. But guys, we'll give a quick rundown. And the biggest one that we want to start out with was Chelsea continued to just break the bank. They spent 121 million euros on Benfica's Argentinian midfielder, Enzo Fernandez, which, guys, this one is huge. Um, definitely getting a lot of the headlines. Um, some of the other ones we mentioned, like Arsenal, they'd signed Troussard from Brighton for 27 million pounds. They got a steal out of Jorginho from Chelsea for only 12 million pounds. Brandon, you guys at Aston Villa got in some deals. Um, Bournemouth, they signed the young defender Ilya Zabarini from Dynamo Kiev for about 24 million. Um, obviously Chelsea has a long list. We'll get to glance on those in a second. Uh, <laughs> Everton, most notably guys, uh, they don't make any signings except for one Steven and it's not a player. It's a new manager in the name of who it's gotta be the big, the bad, the nasty Sean Dyche, uh, our honestly probably favorite manager. It feels like if you've been watching our episodes, we always talk about Sean Dyche, uh, yeah, and if you're an Everton fan, you you gotta look like this is a, a signing because it kind of, I mean, it, it kind of is. For a new guy in the club to keep you up, um, but no player signings for uh, Everton. Only mm-hmm. selling their best player, Anthony Gordon, to Newcastle for forty million pounds. And we'll get to more of that in a second. Brandon, a big American move made over for Leeds, eh? Yeah, Weston McKinney from Juventus. You know, this is. Interesting. We, we talked about it in a previous podcast. He's linked with everyone, every single transfer window. Um, but Leeds, that, that American pool is real, I guess. Now four Americans in the, in the club. Um, and I think it's a great signing for them. It is. It is. We'll hopefully see the three Americans and Brendan Aronson, Tyler Adams, and Weston McKinney all get to play under Jesse Marsh together. Be exciting to see what happens. Manchester United, they get the deadline deal of Marcel Sabitzer on loan from Bayern Munich, as well as we've seen Valvecourse play for them throughout January. Newcastle United, they bring in Anthony Gordon from Everton, uh, making more moves. We'll see how that plays out with them. 
Nottingham Forest continue to sign player after player after player. Um, they've made like 30 signings since they've come up to the Premier League. Pretty remarkable. Tottenham makes splashes in Arnott Danjuma and Pedro Porro. And West Ham got very unlucky signing Danny Ings and him immediately getting hurt. Very, very unlucky. Uh, but guys, there was a statement made by the La Liga president, Javier Tebas, who La Liga and the different presidents from those teams like Real Madrid, Barcelona, have made some statements calling out their European competitors. And the president said that the British market is a doped market, saying they basically get to cheat uh, because Chelsea have made almost half the signings in the Premier League. Um, and they've done some work recently um, with La Liga to make sure that they're financially sustainable, that they're not spending basically more than they can bring in. Uh, but he's talking about how in the Premier League, all these teams can finance with contributions from different patrons, like large American investors or even other investors from like Saudi Arabia or Qatar that we've seen. Uh, but he's saying how this doesn't happen in the Spanish League and doesn't happen in the German League either. They're both financially responsible. Um, and I guess the question is that I want to talk about is, is this a necessary phase of spending that we're seeing, especially in the Premier League? Or is this the future of the sport that we're going to see continue to play out over the years where these big spinners will keep spending as long as they think it's going to help them win? Steve, I'll start with you. Do you think this is the future, or do you think it's just a short phase that we're seeing play out in front of our eyes? I mean, you got to spend money to make money, right? Uh, no, I think that... I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm torn on this. I, I feel like everything financially when it comes to transfer windows, especially the Premier League and financial fair play, um, is just so lucrative that I can't even un begin to understand the surface. But, um, yeah, I think it's going to get worse, honestly. Like, I think the Premier League is the biggest league in the world, and it's going to continue to grow. And especially, like, everybody has eyes on the Premier League. That's not like they don't watch the other leagues, obviously, but it's it's not even a question about revenue, market share, all these things. And you get an American uh, like Todd Bowley that owns the Dodgers as well. He doesn't care about money. He's just going to spend, 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 spend. Sustainability is the last of these owners' minds right now. Brandon, what about you? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's the future of the sport. Um, soccer is corrupt. Everybody, hello. I know we've talked about it, but soccer is corrupt. Um, and it will always continue to be corrupt. Um, that sort of falls into this as well. But, yeah, no, the Premier League being the biggest league in the world, um, they're going to spend and they're going to attract owners who can spend. Um, I, I'd, again, with, I'm with Steve. I don't fully understand the, the money side of things, but I know – the deals that you that you get, like the money you get from the TV deals and all the sponsorships and all of that is is a lot, and it allows them to balance books in certain ways. I'm surprised. I'm I'm going to be really intrigued to see how Chelsea does it. Um, but no, Premier League is going to keep spending. We're going to keep getting new owners who are the owner of owners of countries. You know, crazy. It's just going to get crazier and crazier. I don't know if there will ever be an end, um, and I would guess not. Yeah, it is crazy. And you obviously used to mention Chelsea. Um, do you guys think that you – know, we'll, we'll, we'll give a little bit of a list of maybe who are the winners and the losers of the window. Obviously, Chelsea, some big spenders. We mentioned uh, teams like Southampton, uh, Man City, whoever it is. If you guys had to make a short list of the winners and the losers – of this window, who would you guys play out? Uh, I'll go f first. I'll put in um, Chelsea just for the simple fact of them improving their squad and deepening their squad to make a run for Champions League, um, both this year's Champions League, but also in the Premier League to get a Champions League spot. Um, I know controversial because of how much money they've spent but they did it the players are there now i think it's I, th I think they're great signings if just on the face of it and also i think i'd throw southampton in there they're really really trying to uh to stay up and they might they just might they made some really good signings so yeah steven on the loser side of things you were talking about it earlier but who do you think falls into that list of people 
Yeah, I mean, it's the it's the guys of uh, the Blues, the Toffees, Everton, dude. Not signing a single player is absolutely abysmal. Um, selling your best player who, like, he was this young kid, Anthony Gordon, that always played with passion. Like, would get into fights, get yellow cards for the team. And really, like, I said it before we started recording, but you were Charleston of last year that kept you up kind of player. I won't say talent wise. I'm not talking about like that, but you're talking about intensity. Like, and it, oddly enough, getting in fights with Newcastle, I just feel like the last time I've seen Anthony Gordon. Uh, and so it's really weird for Everton not to sign anybody and they're going to pay for it. It's demoralizing as a club club going up for sale. You look at teams below you, like Southampton spending money of strategic signings, trying to stay up. It is like a like a blow to you, uh, with morale morale wise. Um, it's like okay, well, if our owners don't care, I guess we're just gonna be playing in the championship. So, sucks for them. They're they're by far the big the biggest losers. Um, feel bad for them. Man City also not signing players was lo- losing their best, uh, arguably one of their best defenders, um, in Cancelo to Bayern. That's tough for them. And listen, this is a city team that, sure, they might not care about Prem, but you got to win Champions League, and your competition got a lot better. So I am a little surprised they didn't bring in at least one high-profile signing into their team. Yeah, and what's crazy is, is obviously not in a million years would you have seen that Jao Cancelo departure coming, but it came from in-house. It just became a rift between Guardiola and Cancelo, and that's just... There was no ifs and buts about it. He wanted to leave, and they made it happen. And it is pretty crazy when you have City, the team probably, I guess now behind Chelsea at the most cash, happens too late. They don't get the chance to replace, and they feel confident enough in Rico Lewis that he can fill that gap. Um, I guess who's their other guy they have alongside him, but they feel comfortable with it. And Man City, they do let Bayern get stronger, but they're Man City. They've been winning the Premier League two years in a row. They'll continue to compete and see what they can do. Uh, but overall, we do want to find our best 11 from the January transfer window. We did mention it kind of playfully that Sean Deitch is going to be the biggest thing for Everton, so we'll put him in the head coach position. I'll start us off with the goalkeeper, Kaylor Navas, who had been sitting behind Gianluigi Donnarumma at PSG. He makes the move to Nottingham Forest. That's going to probably play an important part of keeping Forrest up into the Premier League for next season. And then my favorite signing, of course, Pedro Porro coming over from Sporting to Tottenham to play right wing back for Spurs. He'll slot in the right back position for us in this best 11. But Brandon, for you, moving to center back, who would you pick to put there? Yeah, I think Badia Chile uh, from Monaco to Chelsea was a really, really good signing. Young guy, great build, looked decent so far for them. So, um yeah, uh, I think that's that's good slot in there for our center back. Um, and we did put Ilya uh, from Dynamo Kiev to Bournemouth um, in our center back position as well. Um, two young guys have a bright future, come into the prem to, to strut their stuff. Those are our two center backs. Steve, left back, center mid. Yeah, so Gal Cancelo, the guy we just talked about, um, two-time Premier League title champion, um, definitely. I think Bayern has a seventy million clause to buy him, so we'll see. But yeah, that's a huge, a huge plus for Bayern, like we said earlier. Um, and the money man, Enzo Fernandez, and I kind of just want to pause on Enzo here for a little bit of our center mid role of just a little bit more about this transfer. He is the most expensive Premier League transfer ever. Um, most expensive midfielder ever purchased in the entire world. Wow. Um, more than Pogba, so you can make your your arguments on if that worked out well at United or not. But most expensive midfielder ever, and was bought for only ten million pounds six months ago from River Plate. But something fun about this signing for River Plate is they had a twenty five percent sell on clause which brings their net transfer up to 44.25 million euros, which is the most in River Plate's club's history in Argentina. <laughs> so crazy. a world records, club record signing uh, set, transfer sale for them. 
Um, and they thought, you know, it might just be $10 million. No, Chelsea's going to come in and buy this guy for all this money. So uh, they actually ended up making 44.25 million euros, which I love to see River Plate a club it's a huge club uh make all that money from from premier league teams like chelsea is just kind of makes my heart happy a little bit but anyways needless to say we got enzo in the middle of the park uh he's gonna be the best player in the world or a huge bust uh but yeah that's one of the center mids for me and i think one that was sort of sneaky was Jorginho making the move from chelsea to arsenal for only 12 million that's a pretty staggering number considering probably a year and a half ago, he was like top three in the Ballon d'Or voting. He led Italy to a Euro final victory and he probably would have gone for 50, 60, maybe million a year and a half ago. Now he just slides into Arsenal now for only 12 million. It's pretty incredible. Um, I feel like we have to mention him there. And then obviously Weston McKinney making the move from Juventus to Leeds. Um, he'll definitely improve that lead squad he's probably gonna be one of their best players now him and tyler adams next to each other will be a pretty great combo the americans holding it down and then brandon up top we have three left who would you place in those three spots yeah another chelsea guy mudrick uh from shakhtar uh also a lot of money what was it 88 and a half or something like that yeah it something was crazy maybe. something like that yeah um a lot of money for a guy who, you know, is really unproven, young, talented, and actually looked really good against Liverpool. Um, so I'm excited to see what he can do, but I, I think it's going to be a great signing for them. Um, Leandro Trossard from Brighton to Arsenal. Uh, we mentioned this last week, but he sort of got in a scuff with his, the coach, Deserby. Deserby said, you're not going to play for us. Find another place to go. He said, okay, I'm going to Arsenal. I'm going to go win the league. Um, so that's a cool, um, <laughs> move for Trissard, but he's a great player and very exciting. I think we also sort of did Dan Juma wrong here. I just want to throw that in. I think Dan Juma could also have been left forward or right forward somewhere up here. Um, uh, I think it's a great signing by Tottenham, but, um, for striker, scored, scored in his debut as well. Yes. There you go. But for striker and there's probably going to be some de- debate about this. So get in the comments and let us know how you think, but. Cody Gakbo moving from PSV to Liverpool. He, we're putting him in the striker position because he has played striker only so far for Liverpool. Um, I think he can play anywhere across the front three, maybe even midfield a little bit. Um, but I think it's a great signing from Liverpool. I think he's a phenomenal player. So I hope he has a good career um, in the Premier League. So, yeah, that's our, that's our 11 and our head coach. That is our January... 11 best transfer team. Um, yeah, pretty crazy. We had some big moves, um, especially for January. I mean, Chelsea really lit this one up for sure, um, even though you know they've had some interesting turnover the past couple of months, but Todd Bowley is not messing around. He's ready to sign them checks and get Chelsea up the table, hopefully, they think. Um, Grand Potter obviously has a lot to work to do, um, but we'll see how it all plays out. If a lot of these guys are busts, or if they're hidden gems in the dirt, we'll have to find out very soon. Well, we have had the Carabao Cup and the FA Cup this past week since we've been on the podcast. The Premier League took a little bit of a break so that these teams could play. And the Carabao Cup semifinal was first played between Southampton and Newcastle. Newcastle in this first leg had Joel Ellington get a goal off of an assist from Isaac in the 73rd minute. That gave Newcastle the one goal they needed to win the first leg. And then Duje Kaletakar got two yellow cards, which meant he got a red card and would miss the second leg of this matchup. And then in the second leg, this one was a little bit closer, Brandon, um, but still just a little bit too much for Southampton to overcome. Yeah, yeah, Newcastle winning it uh, 2-1 in the second leg, um, making it 3-1 overall in the aggregate. Um, Southampton, you know, bright spot for them. They were wearing their beautiful third kit. So if you haven't seen that yet, please go look it up. I think it's a gorgeous kit. You might disagree. Uh, Zelda but... Wind Waker kit. Yeah, yeah. I think that's a great nickname for it, to be honest, because it does look like it's straight out of Zelda. But it looks amazing, uh, especially if you like the color blue. Um, but, yeah, a, an unfamiliar face, such familiar face, doesn't really score a lot of goals, but it's Sean Longstaff um, with a goal in the fifth minute. 
Uh, and then there's a great passage at play for his second goal. Almiron, actually, our boy Miggy, assists him for the second goal in the 21st minute. Um, Shea Adams for, for Southampton does respond relatively quickly in the 29th minute with a shot um, from well outside the box. Um, goes into the corner. Beautiful shot. Beautiful goal. Um, but wasn't really much after that. Um, you sort of maybe thought Southampton yeah. could get back into it. There's a lot of time left, but it didn't be. Uh, it wasn't to be on the day. Bruno Gamaris does get a red card in the 82nd minute, which is sort of weird. But um, he sort of has that fire in him too, so that's sort of expected. But yeah, Newcastle are going through. Yeah. If if Southampton just had a little bit more quality, they probably could have got back into this game, and they had their chances. There was a couple of them in probably the 70th minute on that they could have put one or two in the back of the net and gotten this one close, and they just don't have that. But most notably, yeah, Bruno Gamarish is now going to miss that Carabao Cup final, I think, right? Is that how it carries over? Um, I'm pretty sure that it'll be that effect. I don't know sometimes how the FA and um, Premier League matches up but if he is out of that final that will be huge for Newcastle because when they take on Manchester United as we'll see because Man U they really really took care of business against Man or against Nottingham Forest they won their first game 3-0 with the help of Marcus Rashford who is so hot right now uh, he got a goal in the first six minutes just get a solo run from his own half makes all the hard work and gets it done he has 10 goals and two assists since the World Cup, guys. I mean, it's only been since January that he's done all this. <laughs> Pretty incredible. Um, Val Beckforce gets his first goal for Man U. And then Bruno Fernandez kind of tops things off in the first leg with a goal in the 89th minute. And then the second game, it was over before it really started, if we're being honest. Uh, Martial got a lucky goal. Um, he made a bad pass and got deflected off of Rashford, kind of trying to take a shot. Um, and then it falls to his feet and puts it in the back of the goal. Not too bad in the second one. Really wasn't that good at defending from Nottingham Forest. Serge Aurier tries defending a pass from Bruno Fernandez to uh, Marcus Rashford at the back post. Well, that left nobody in the middle to cover Fred, who just kind of bodies it in and finishes the aggregate 5-0 in favor of the Red Devils. Really a lack last lackluster Carabao Cup, but the final should be shaping up to be something that Many wouldn't have predicted coming into this. And I know you guys probably are feeling the same way. Um, who could have predicted this, honestly? But who do you guys think want it more? Is it Ten Hogs' freshly created Man U team? Or is it the newly created Newcastle team that hasn't seen a final since 1998 setting up a rematch with Manchester United, Stephen? Who do you think wants it more, the Red Devils or the Toons? Oh my gosh, Newcastle, and I don't even think it's close. Um, I even think if you were to ask a Newcastle fan, uh, would you rather take a top four spot or care about cup? They're taking the cup. They're taking the trophy um, 100%. Um, Because, I mean, this team, I think if you would have said, hey, you're going to be in a cup final against Manchester United, um, and in the top four conversation, they might think you're on crack even after the sale uh to the consortium in saudi arabia but no i think it's i think it's newcastle uh it's gonna be a great final um i i hope i hope newcastle wins uh, it'd be amazing for the club like you said last time 1998 them being in a final like these things don't happen and newcastle is a huge club and that's why it's so fun to see them almost restored um to as their fans, I'm sure, would argue, conversations about Europe, you know. Um, I even think Brandon can empathize uh, a lot with that as well as Baston Villa, champions of Europe. Um, you know, these teams that are coming back, building back their bones to compete for spots in Europe and cup competition. It's just awesome to see. And I think Newcastle is just the product of that. So I hope Newcastle wins, and I think that they do want it more. Brandon? I mean, I was going to say Man U, but after that amazing uh, delivery from Steven, I, <laughs> how could you think anything else, to be honest? Um, I, I think it's <laughs> fair to say that both teams want it um, yes. very much. <laughs> Man U, known for their, their trophy cabinet, 
Um, this would be a great way to sort of stamp the, the new Manchester United, to be completely honest with you. I think this is a big game for Manchester United. Um, the new Ten Hag era, they've been trying to find a, a manager that could take them back to glory days, to winning, winning trophies. And Ten Hag is se- seemingly the guy. They're in a final. They're probably going to be favorites, I'd assume, to win it. Um, maybe slight. But it's, I think it's a fair matchup, all things considered. Fair matchup. I think both teams want it the same. Um, but yeah, I th- Man U, th- this is, I think, where Ten Hag's legacy can really start. And I think... There's a lot of pressure on Ten Hag, more so than Eddie Howe, to deliver. Um, but I think Newcastle would enjoy the victory more than Manchester United would, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's sort of a, a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Uh, especially you talk about Ten Hag and Eddie Howe. If, if you win, your expectations suddenly skyrocket of, okay, well, we know we are capable. So now next season it's going to be, okay, top four must and then with these teams, their aspirations are also win the Premier League. So those suddenly become us. So it's sort of this thing, if you win, now all of a sudden your expectations are going to be very, very high. And it's going to be kind of a, a testing ground of, okay, are we ready? Have we done enough in these transfer windows so far? Or are we going to have to do more work, especially coming into the summer? So it's, that's exciting. It's exciting to see these teams, you know, come back to some of their former glory. Obviously, it's the Carabao Cup. It's not... Even the FA Cup, as far as those standards, it's not the Premier League by any means. It's definitely not in the European competitions like Europa or even Champions League, right? But it's still a trophy. Um, heck, Steve and I would love to have an opportunity to win a trophy like this at yeah. Tottenham. But um, I'm excited. I'm excited that these two teams get the chance. As I mentioned, it's a rematch. The last time that Newcastle was even in a final was against Manchester United. So kind of a fun uh, throwback. Mm-hmm. It only took 24, 25 years to get there. But, hey... Time has to run its course, also, and things come back and, around. And really quick, too. Uh, oh, go ahead, Brandon. No, I was just going to say, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer had also been in a couple finals, but never won one. So it's also big for Eric Ten Hag to actually follow through and win this, or I think they will start to compare him with Ole in the media, which you, you don't want, because I think Eric Ten Hag is way better manager. But... Um, he, I think he has to win this. I think there's a lot of, lot of pressure to win it. Sorry, Steve. Go ahead. Yeah. Well, no, you're good. I was also thinking this final is February 26th. We just talked about how a month can change a, a club, change a player. Look at Rashford, right? The final is February 26th, and Manchester United are in the FA Cup. They're competing in the Premier League at a very high level right now. Uh, Europa League is starting back up. And they're going to have this final kind of sandwiched in the middle of all of this going on. The injury bug has started to nip at them just a little bit um, and the likes of Ericsson and whatnot. So who's to say? Maybe Sabitzer is a rock star come February 26. Maybe yeah. it's not working out. So um, it's going to be really interesting. I hate, honestly, how the Carabao Cup works, how you play all the way up to this point and then the finals in a month. Um, but... We're just going to have to wait and see. But Man United in four different competitions right now. Uh, Newcastle just hanging around in two right now. I think they're out of the FA Cup. But anyways. Yeah, it'll be exciting to see. You mentioned Sabitzer, what he, what he can do to kind of fill that void left by Ericsson's injury for the next couple of months. But in the FA Cup, we did have the Man City-Arsenal matchup, which was pretty much a snoozer for the first half. Not a whole lot happened. Until the 64th minute, we finally got some action when Nathan Ake got a low-to-the-ground kind of curler around the American Matt Turner in goal for the only goal of the game. Troussard and Tomiyasu actually had some pretty good chances for Arsenal. Um, Tomiyasu on a half volley, and then Troussard, I want to say, had a pretty clean look at goal. Um, but I can't remember who's Man City's backup keeper right now, um, but did well to um, save off the shots. And at the end of the day, it just came out to a 1-0 win for Man City, but definitely building some confidence. Arsenal now have one less competition to worry about in their pursuit of winning the Premier League this season, so that might be a blessing in disguise for them. Brighton and Liverpool had a fun matchup in the FA Cup. Harvey Elliott got the scoring open in the 30th minute. Lamb T-Shot and Lewis had a dunk deflection for a goal in the 39th minute. And then it came down to the 90th minute in stoppage time. 
which our guy Mutama, who we talked about his recent transition from Japanese University to the Premier League, has all paid off with some huge moments in the 92nd minute. He gets a last-minute goal, which is this this such a cheeky little kind of like he gathers the ball and then flicks it on the second on the second touch and puts it in the back of the net for the winner. Um, such a fun game. I mean, the instant reaction for everyone was just like, what an incredible um, goal from him! But just his story has been so fun to follow. But the biggest story that's been the most fun to follow has been Wrexham, guys. I mean, come on, how perfect is it? The Americans, Ronald Reynolds, well, he's Canadian, and then Rob McElhenney coming in and transforming this club in the National League. Their rise to fame has been meteoric, and they almost, almost, almost got it done against Sheffield United if it weren't for a 93rd-minute goal from the Blades. Um, But my question to you guys is, I mean, they've gotten this far. They've gotten so close against Sheffield United. Can they get it done in the replay against Sheffield United to move on to play Tottenham of all teams, Steve? Um, Brandon, I'll start with you, though. Are you confident that they can get it done? Is it just Hollywood's destiny at this point? I'm not confident that they can get it done. They did make, I think, two signings in the in the window, if I'm not mistaken. Um, so maybe that helps them out a little bit. But Sheffield United is, is very good. They're a good team. They will be coming to the Premier League next year. Um, and so I don't know. I, I think I want them to win because I think I'd love to see a Wrexham Spurs game. <laughs> like how amazing would that be? What a weird world we live in. Be wild. Um, but that's the, that's the cup, isn't it? Like that's, that's the fun of the cup. So, uh, I would love to see that, but I don't have much confidence in them putting another amazing performance away from home against a Sheffield team. That's probably just going to put them away and be like, okay, we're, we're moving on in the competition. Steve, is there any hope? Yeah, I'm usually the pessimistic guy. I mean, there's hope for sure. Um, Sheffield also looked really bad too, though. Like they, some of the defending I was watching from them was absolutely terrible. And this is a team that is all but guaranteed, like they're just about wrapped up in the championship of getting automatic promotion. They're in second place right now. So the fact that Wrexham scored three goals against a team that I think is over 70 teams above them in rank in English football is crazy. Um, but yeah, if, I, if I'm Wrexham, I'm just defending going to PKs. Honestly, that's that's just do not do not let in stupid, stupid goal. You are away from home. Read the room. I think there's a chance. They got to play for a draw, play for the, for the PK shootout and see what happens. And what is notable, I do want to say, is Wrexham actually got, I think, kind of screwed out of two goals. Um, one being, I think they said that the ball that went barred down actually crossed the line. And the second one being mm-hmm. that they should have had a penalty, I think, given on a handball. Um, that's two goals that they should have had, potentially, that were not given because they didn't have VAR. They didn't have goal line technology to help them. Um, and so they kind of got screwed out of it. Um, so I'm hoping just destiny does favor them. I do want to see it. Um, it was already just so heartbreaking to see them give up that goal in the 90, 90th plus minute. Um, but I just know they would beat Tottenham anyways. It'd be perfect for the documentary. It'd be classic Tottenham. Um, and it would be the biggest upset. I, wa- I, I want to lose to Wrexham. <laughs> I want to lose to Wrexham. Please do, do yeah. it to me. Yeah, honestly, <laughs> at this point, like... <laughs> It just wouldn't surprise anyone. Any any Tottenham fan knows it. Just you kind of know what to expect is the uh, the unexpected. Um, but cheering on Wrexham in their second leg in the replay against uh, Sheffield. But we'll have to see how it plays out. Um, well, the Premier League will be back. Match week twenty two is approaching, and we have some matchups that we think you guys want to pay attention to. A bit of a preview, um, beginning with tenth place Chelsea, which tenth place coming out of my mouth still is crazy, especially when we consider that they've spent so much money since the summer. They brought in a new manager, firing Tuchel to bring in Graham Potter, and they still are 10th. Insane. They're behind 7th place Fulham, who sit on 31 points versus Chelsea's 29. The last time they played, Fulham won 2-1. My goodness. They got goals from the old man William and former Tottenham guy Carlos Vinicius. And, if you remember, a certain debutant... Uh, Jao Felix got a red card, so he's still suspended from that red card. Um, guys, I mean, 
is it foolish to think that Fulham could do it again and bet against billionaire Todd Bowie's rejuvenated Chelsea squad? Is it foolish to think that, Brandon? No, I think Fulham's better than Chelsea, to be completely honest. At least they've played better so far this year. They are legit. I will say they've lost the past two games, so maybe starting of a downward trend. But I think it was a close game against Tottenham. I forget the the previous game. But, um, no, I, I really like Fulham in this game. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if it was a draw. But Fulham in my eyes, is is favored, even with all the new Chelsea signings. I think Grant Potter has a lot to do to get that team organized and set up. Um, and this Fulham team is well-drilled. So I think it'll be a great matchup. It will be a good matchup. Steve, for you, anything that sticks out in this one? Um, It's at home for Chelsea. Uh, I think that mm-hmm. matters, I will say. But, I mean... Potter's in a pressure cooker now. Yeah, the new signings are great, but like Brandon said, Fulham is played at least. Uh, I mean, that's why they're higher on the table. A way better season so far than Chelsea, and beating them last time, I don't know. I'm seeing a draw for this one probably, but I think it's going to be a very good game. And honestly, going back to that Chelsea-Liverpool game, that's the last Chelsea game I watched. It was bad. It was very bad. So, to Brandon's point, again, like, it's not like Chelsea looked good and then they got $300 million worth of signings. They looked very bad, disjointed, no identity, and added a bunch of more bodies. Well, So we'll see. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they kind of, if they can be cohesive in these coming weeks. It's coming down to crunch time. Uh, Nottingham Forest, they're 13th right now. Leeds are 15th. Forest has 21 points to Leeds is 18 points. And since 2012, Forest have won eight of the matchups. Together, they've drawn six, and they've Leeds have three wins. The last four ones, though, have gone in favor of Forest 2-0, a 1-1 draw, a 4-2 win for Forest, and a 1-1 draw um, back in the championship days because it's been so long since they both were in the Premier League. Um, but... It's going to be the first time since 1999 since that's even happened. But both these teams, I mean, Nottingham Forest especially, have done so much work in the transfer window. I mean, some pretty solid work, all things considered. Um, Do we think one of these signings, Brandon, will be the difference maker on the day? Maybe a Weston McKinney, someone like that? Yeah, I mean, I would really circle Weston McKinney. I think he could have immediately slot into the team. I don't know. Maybe not, though. They're, they're pretty intense. Maybe he's not. He might not be fit enough to to play at the Leeds pace, to be completely honest. Um, but maybe off the bench. Um, I'm, I'm interested to see the, the Hoffenheim kid, Rudder, for Leeds as well. He, he's a forward. Young kid, maybe he makes a difference, but I will say Nottingham Forest, I have to applaud them in two of these signings. Chris Wood from Newcastle United on loan, um, and then one that you probably would never, no one's going to give praise for, but John Joe Shelby, um, also from, from Newcastle. Two veterans in the Premier League, going to sure up their midfield, going to have a great option in the forward line. I don't know. I'm sort of leaning Nottingham Forest in a way. Um, again, I think this is going to be a really good matchup. Steve? Um, yeah, it's a very important game, especially for Jesse Marsh, uh, the coach of Leeds United, with spending the amount of money that Leeds has this transfer window. Um, I mean, expectations are there. You kind of filled in your gaps, so avoid relegation. I think go get a result um, is the expectation uh, from the Leeds fans, from the board. And so I'll I'll go with that expectation to make something good out of that situation. So I'll go for at least a draw for Leeds. Um, Who knows, maybe even a win. Uh, I'll go for a win to be less boring, but I think that Leeds needs it more uh, whether it be table positioning as well as the magnitude of signings. And let's be real, you got three American players on a team um, that might rub English fans the wrong way of 
all right, this is cute and fun, but we're in a relegation battle. Can they actually help us? Um, I think that's all they care about. So, and I think Weston can, so um, I think it'll work out well. Yeah, and Brandon, you made a plea uh, not too many episodes ago talking about it's not the time to sack Jesse Marsh, but they sit only one point, I believe, off of the relegation line. Uh, Bournemouth has 17 points in 18th. Leeds have 18 points in 15th. So they're really not that far off. So every point that they can get are going to be massive. I do think the difference maker will be if Nottingham Forest has Kaylor Navas in goal. I think he has the ability to save some big, important points for Forrest. Um, I don't see, you know, Weston especially being a guy for Leeds that's going to be coming in and creating a lot of goal-scoring opportunities, but we'll see. Um, I do think Navas, if he get Caleb Navas, if he gets the start, um, will be the difference maker in the game. Um, but the biggest difference maker in this Everton-Arsenal matchup, Everton are 19th with 15 points, Arsenal are first with 50 points, uh, they have a pretty sizable gap right now of five points atop the league. Um, pretty insane, if you ask me. Uh, this is the first meeting of the year, though, between Everton and Arsenal. In the previous meeting, Arsenal smashed Everton 5-1 at the Emirates. But in that reverse fixture, if you remember, Everton actually won at Goodison Park 2-1 against the Gunners. So it'll be interesting to see because, as we mentioned, Sean Dyche is coming in to replace Frank Lampard. This will be his first game. And we've heard all too much about the new manager bounce. Um, his last five meetings against Arsenal, back when he was at Burnley, he only had one win. He only had one loss. He did have three draws for Burnley against Arsenal. So Sean Dyche will be looking in to kind of right the ship, avoid relegation at all costs, because as we've said, Everton have never been relegated from the Premier League. So he has a massive, massive job to do to keep them up. Uh, but the big question will be, are things brewing up to be a big upset? And can he take advantage of that new manager bounce and shock the Premier League all the way to the top, Steve? Do we have faith in Sean Dyche? Can he get it done? Uh, I'll keep this short and sweet. Um, short term as in this game, Arsenal versus Everton, no. They will lose and they will lose badly. Um, long term for Everton this season... I think he does make a difference. He's put himself in a great position to which if he keeps them up, he's a masterclass. And if he goes down, not your fault. Um, so, yeah, I think he actually stays up with the club, but I think they get absolutely hammered against Arsenal. I think they get killed by at least three goals. Brandon, is there any hope for an upset? Anything Sean Dyche can do to help Everton this game? Yeah, help me, Sean Dice. You're my only hope. I think it's what Everton fans uh, were saying <laughs> last week. Um, yeah, no, I think Dice is the the perfect signing. Like we've mentioned before, uh, I think the Evertonians will really take to him well. Uh, he just fits. He just fits the club. Um, yeah, they didn't make any signings, but I think, like we mentioned, they've had they have a pretty good roster already. Definitely like a mid table ish. Uh, roster. Um, if he can get the best out of them, you know he's going to defend. Um, you know, with James Tarkovsky back there, he's already worked with. Um, you have Connor Cody back there as well. So, yeah, I, I think if he can maximize their performance defensively, I think the best that Everton can do is a 0-0 draw. Um, and that result would be phenomenal for them. I would also like to believe that uh, if you remember back to the end of last year when they were in the relegation battle, their fans, their home crowd really drug them through that mm -hmm. and kept them up. Um, I expect a loud crowd for Daesh's first game against the, the top team in the league. I think there is hope, not for a win, but definitely for a draw. I would love to see it happen. I am rooting for Everton so hard in this game. Anything to bring down Arsenal and also anything to keep them up. They just aren't a team that deserves to be sent down. Obviously, deserve is a strange word to throw out because some people do think they deserve to be sent down. Um, but I'm rooting for them to stay up, especially now that Sean Dyche has taken over. I think he deserves a chance of continuing to manage in the Premier League. He's definitely a Premier League caliber coach. We'll see what he can do, especially this early against Arsenal. But in the long term, like we said, Relegation is the most important topic. Will they stay up or not? 
Well, fifth place Tottenham take on second place Man City. They only just saw each other less than a few days ago. Tottenham had 36 points. Man City have 45 points. A sizable gap between fifth and second. Um, but that last game was frustrating to say the least. Um, Tottenham gave up four unanswered goals in the last league matchup. If you remember, Tottenham scored two goals literally seconds before the first half ended. And then everything went south for Tottenham at that point. Um, well, big news again is that Antonio Conte has been admitted to the hospital. He had a gallbladder issue, had to have that resolved. So he's actually going to be out potentially for weeks. Um, so I think Stellini, our kind of bench coach, will be taking over for the team for the time being. He has been an interim coach before for Antonio Conte, especially at their time at Inter when they actually won um, the league. So we'll see how things turn out. Um, the big question kind of is going to be, will Tottenham go for a win here? Um, or do we kind of try to play some sound football and see how to draw, especially with Conte being out, Steven? I guess you're the one I'll talk to more directly on this one. Um, are you feeling confident all with Conte being out? And also now with new signing in Pedro Porro and also Dan Juma to come off the bench if we need him. How are you feeling as a Tottenham fan? I know you're always skeptical. Yeah, I mean, I a part of me is just like, I don't care um, if we win, <laughs> honestly. Uh, to me, it's... You know, the future of the club is so much at stake right now is the talks at Tottenham. Does Conte stay? Does Harry Kane stay? What do those contract negotiations look like? And I think if I can just get our new signings to fit into the style of football we are trying to play, to whereas before it was you throw a new defender out every different game and you're just hoping they don't make mistakes. Um so if Tottenham can just play sound football, I'll, a draw would send me over the moon against Manchester City because they gifted you two goals. You almost It's not like Tottenham almost won last week. I'm sorry. like That performance was so terrible. Um, Man City gave us two goals, and we set a timer of how quick we could piss it away into the wind. So um, this Manchester City matchup shows some improvements, shows some freaking guts, like be the first ones to the ball keep the shape just don't seem like you're helpless just grasping at straws um it was just honestly so demoralizing last time we played city because uh, you just couldn't do anything about it um so and the way we've gotten results against cities like in the past is gritting it out hitting them on the counter and just frustrating them defensively this used to be a good defensive team and that's what i want to see out of this next matchup Man, I'm I'm sitting here still questioning if Pedro Porro is even going to get the start, considering I guess it's so soon, like after it. his arrival. I just don't think because Emerson has played – he actually played really well last season against Man City. He actually had one of his best games against them. So I think Emerson probably still gets the start at right back. Um, it's just sort of the safe play, right? I mean, if, especially if you're playing for a draw, if you're playing for points – I don't expect to see a big change in the lineup. So probably no Poro to start. Um, Dan Juma, obviously, I don't think it's a start. You'll still see Sonny, Kane, Kulisewski up front. Um, the midfield, probably Benson, Core, and Hoybier, and probably Perisic on the left side. So you don't uh, but, think any Richarlison? Uh, well, he missed the FA Cup matchup. He had a little bit of an injury. Um, Conte had said in an interview that he was going to get a start. Um, I think it was going to be for that FA Cup game, and then he had that little nick. So I don't know. I really don't because Sonny had actually a good FA Cup game. He got some really nice goals, actually. Um, he played pretty well, so his confidence actually might be on the up. So it's sort of a hard time for Charleston. It will be interesting um, to see, especially, like we said, Conte's not there. Stellini's going to be the one making those decisions more than likely, so it's probably his call of what that looks like. Um, but at the end of the day, I don't feel... Like, we can't get a result. We've seen what we've done the past couple seasons. Hopefully last game was a fluke, and they can get a draw. Obviously, a win would be huge, especially considering the race you're in with Man U and Newcastle for that final fourth-place spot. Um, but everything to play for. We'll see how it plays out. Um, but that is your Premier League Match Week 22 preview. 
Um, we'll throw it over around the world as we do. Uh, we had a little bit of a January camp for the U.S. men's national team. They played Serbia and Colombia in some friendly style games of a mostly MLS roster. Um, we got to see some guys make their debuts, some new faces around town. Um, they lost 2-1 to one against Serbia and drew nil, nil with Colombia on Saturday. Both games took place in Los Angeles, one at the Galaxy Stadium, one at LESC Stadium. But guys, did anything stand out to you as far as maybe some guys that got the opportunity to play or maybe just how we looked as a team? Was there much of a World Cup hangover for players, maybe like Walker Zimmerman, Kellen Acosta, whoever? Uh, Brandon, I'll start with you. Any thoughts that stuck out to you from this January U.S. Men's National Team camp? Yeah, I mean, I think our midfield looked awful all overall. I mean, Acosta did not look great. Um, Paxton Aronson was bad. Um, yeah, we just weren't good. I know it's it's a, basically a whole new squad. They probably won't see the next World Cup either, for being completely honest, like most of these guys. But, um, yeah, it's just it's sort of just like a lighthearted, friendly, um, just to give people caps, you know? Um, it wasn't anything serious. I will say I thought John Tolkien was pretty good. Um, left back for, I think, Red Bulls. Um, and it was uh, really nice to see Matthew Hoppy out there running around. I, I don't think it fully clicked for him um, during this, this January camp, but uh, you can see there's there's a lot of skill there, and still there there is potential there. He just needs maybe some co- consistent game time at a club, and hopefully he'll get that soon. Steve, you get the chance to see any of the games or take much notes about it? Yeah, I think from a game aspect, don't look at anything at all because um, it's just a weird mix-up matchup of players. Um, it's not – this January camp is different than years past of producing products like Brendan Aronson getting his first cap in January camp and solidifying himself for the U.S. Men's National Team. Matt Turner. Um, it's a different vibe. The, the U.S. has a lot of players in Europe right now, and not that many came over for January. Um, so the, honestly, the realest things that happened for me is uh, you had a striker score a striker's goal, um, and Brendan Vasquez heading it. Um, and the reality is he's not capped for the United States um, on a senior level. He can still commit to Mexico. Um, delivering him that ball, Atlanta United teammate Julian Gressel, that was kind of cool. Um, and Alejandro Zendejas uh, is another huge um, dual citizen kind of situation. Plays for Club America in Liga Mekis. Um, and he was even asked during this January camp of if he's made a decision, just trying to get. And um, he said, I'm just really focused on my football. Then one of the U.S. officials behind him was like, to answer your question, uh, no, he is not like fully committed right now. So. Kind of the balls in Mexico's court, too. Uh, He's definitely a person of interest. January camps have kind of turned into who's committing to... It's like this recruitment battle, almost, uh, between Mexico and the United States, which is pretty weird. But, but yeah, I mean, the games were boring. Um, A lot of faces you don't know. Cade Cowell looked really good. You see the rejects that didn't make the flights to Qatar, like Paul Areola. Um... So it's just kind of weird. Uh, it's a weird hodgepodge of players. Um, so, But I would not read into any of the results. Not to mention it being weird. We still don't even have a coach to lead our national yeah, team. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Let that not be ignored. Well, you mentioned Julian Gressel um, getting that assist to Brendan Vasquez, Lane United fans crying everywhere, the connection that could have been. Um, but he's 29 now. He'll be 32 potentially for that 2026 World Cup. Uh, it's kind of fun that he gets the cap finally after years of you know working to get his green card, citizenship, all that stuff for America. Um, but yeah, it, for me personally, it sort of just feels like this kind of just throwing him a bone. Like, yeah, you actually earned this a while ago. Um, you worked really hard, could have had this opportunity. Um, had he been consistently playing at a good MLS team, not like DC United, not getting the move to Vancouver at a weird time, like potentially could have been a serious contender for the Qatar World Cup, but just saw things kind of fall off after his departure from Atlanta United. Um, So looking forward, Brandon, 
is it a wasted cap? Is it a wasted opportunity for him? Or is there actually a like viable option, sort of like a role DeAndre Yedlin played this year where he might get a chance to play in the next World Cup? Yeah, um, I, I think he would have to consistently be the best right back in the MLS for the next two to three years to even have a chance to make the roster. Um, Gressel is one of the best players in Atlanta United history, um, and I appreciate him for everything that he's done. Um, but there's two guys ahead of him who are much better than him in Dest and Joe Scally that he's not jumping either of them anytime soon, um, but maybe could make the roster in a certain way. I mean, then then it's like who's – the the odd man out. I mean, Joe Bell, uh, George Bello is is still in in contention. I mean, there's probably going to be another kid at some point. So, I I just don't see it happening. But I will say congratulations to him because I remember us talking about him becoming a U.S. citizen years ago, and how amazing he was for Atlanta United, mm-hmm. and how how cool it might be. Um, if because I remember when we were talking, like the right back position for the U.S. team was sort of up in the air. We, it wasn't consistent; like we had no idea. And the way Julian Gressel was playing, it would have been amazing for him to play on the U.S. men's team. He just wasn't an American yet. Um, yeah, I think it's just coming too late for him. But um, definitely, definitely earned, I'd say. Yeah, it is kind of crazy. At that point, we were probably thinking Miles Robinson, Julian Gressel, that right back, center back position potentially up for grabs to Atlanta guys, but not to be. Steve, though, some familiar faces and names talking about the MLS. We have the FIFA Club World Cup, um, and a certain team is playing, aren't they? Uh, yes. Uh, if you're an OG on the on the pod, you know that I love my Sounders. Um, I don't know why. The team kind of just chose me. Um, so no, yeah, Seattle Sounders plays, uh, Egyptian side. You got to help me out with this name here. Al Al Hali, uh, coming up this Saturday. This is fun. We love it. That's right. CONCACAF champions league wasn't won by a Mexican team. It was won by an MLS team, which means it is your responsibility to care a lot about this matchup on Saturday. (laughs) If you like us soccer, um, so it's a fun opportunity to play some of the best teams in the world. Um, so tune in Saturday, Club World Cup. Uh, Champions League last year, Real Madrid, right? Yeah. It's probably going to be the final, maybe, you think? God, uh, I mean, if if Seattle can take down uh, this Egyptian side on Saturday, I mean, for y'all that aren't aware of the Club World Cup, basically everybody has their certain federations that they play in. Um, for the MLS, we play in CONCACAF. Over in Europe, it's UEFA, um, Ball in South America, et cetera, et cetera, and so on. And so basically the club champions of their continents are put into this tournament. Um, so Seattle Sounders can be the champions of the world. Um, it's, that would be a, it's a possibility. Sorry, that's just insane and crazy um, that they're there. So kudos to you. Just get the chance to watch Jordan Morris go up against Carla Hall and Christian O'Donnell against Chuamini and Federico Valverde. The matchups you dream of seeing, right? <laughs> yeah, maybe not. Um, <laughs> and that would be the next not. round if but, Seattle hey, you know, won, by the way. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, yeah. that makes it even harder. Uh, I mean, yeah, you think about a couple of years ago, Liverpool, when they had an amazing team. I think it was Monterey took them either to extra time or they lost like in the 90th minute, I want to say, to a Mo Salah goal. Don't quote me on it. Um, so in these teams, they have to play. You don't know what could happen, but more than likely, if it gets to that Sounders-Madrid matchup, I probably would put my money on El Blanco. Well, our final segment on the day is You Betcha. This is our chance to find some lock-ins, some matchups that we think you can count on one team or another doing what we say. And Steven, you are always the one to kick us off. This time, who do you have as your lock for the week for You Betcha? There we go. There we go. Uh, Yes. So I was torn on a couple different choices here, but I'm going to lock in Fulham to draw against Chelsea. Um, On the money line, the odds are plus 310. 
that's pretty crazy for a draw um, of a team that's above Chelsea by three spades by three spots. Um, so yeah, my money's on Fulham to draw Chelsea at Stanford Bridge. Um, I don't think Todd Bowley has a has a result in that wallet of his. <laughs> Brandon, if you had to have a lock on the week, who would it be? Look at me again, betting on my team. Are you guys forcing me to do this? What is going on here? Um, no, but Aston Villa, no, 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 no. <laughs> I mean, they're going to keep the ball rolling. They are plus 100 to win over Leicester City. Leicester City has lost the last four and drawn one. Um, so, yeah, they're they're not looking too good. Um, but Villa, they're looking wonderful, and I am loving every second of it. Uh, with a win, potentially we could jump into a European spot, believe it or not. Um, wow. We are three points off six, I believe. So, um, yeah, I'm all in on this. Plus 100, that sounds good to me. Lock it in. That is true. I have verified what you have said about the table. That is facts. Well, for me, I mentioned it earlier, and Tottenham is too good of a team to be a pushover for these top clubs, especially Man City. We've shown time and time again that we can get results against them. Having no Antonio Conte does hurt, um, so I'm not going to go for a win, but I'm going to take the draw at plus 310 for Tottenham against Man City. I just think that, yeah, the, the opportunity is there to prove that you're not a pushover. You still have the talented front three of Kulisevsky, Kane, and Sonny. I mean, come on. Um, maybe the chance to see Pedro Porro at some point, I don't know, but certainly I don't think Tottenham will lose this game. I'm going to lock it in on at least a draw for the boys. Come on, you Spurs. Also going for my own team, Brandon. See, it's not, it's not forbidden around here. Um, but thus we have reached the conclusion of yet another episode of the supporter section. We hope you enjoyed our time together today on the show. Um, if you made it this far, go ahead and leave a like on the video and subscribe if you haven't already. Um, leave a comment. Do you have any draws or bets for the week? Uh, the major signing that you were surprised about? Um, are Chelsea out of control? We want to hear what you guys have to think. Uh, but please do leave a like and a comment if you haven't already. Well, for the guys and myself, I have been Cole Carter. They have been Brandon Pacenick and Stephen Curl. Enjoy another loaded week of football. Until the next one, everyone, peace out.